First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. My guest who joined me via Skype is Yang Huang, author of the novel Living Treasures and the short story collection Mild Faithful. Huang moved to the U.S. from Jiangsu, China, to study computer science. She then studied literature and creative writing and earned her MFA from the University of Arizona. Her book, My Old Faithful, includes 10 interconnected short stories that focus on a middle-class family of five living in China. We began the interview with Huang discussing how she went from engineering to writing. You know, I'm an introvert and don't have a lot to say, but I can go on and on in writing. My parents found I enjoyed writing, so they tried to dissuade me from it. They lived through the Cultural Revolution and saw that finest writers in China were persecuted and second-rate writers were bought off by the state. I grew up during a time of economic and technological reforms in China. My father tried to infuse me with the belief that it's sexy for a girl to be a scientist because no political movement could touch you. So I took the advice and studied physics in college. I came to the States as a computer science student, which helped me find a job. Working as an engineer made me restless. I began to take English and writing classes and eventually earned an MFA in fiction. In hindsight, I can see that my temperament is suited to be a writer. I'm an observer, endlessly curious, and sympathetic toward people. I love words and books. I have a spiritual bent that makes me look down on material things. I want to be free and use my imagination. As a young person, I accepted that life is unfair, but a writer can create a more just world in books by focusing her gaze on that injustice. To me, that's empowering. I want to become that kind of storyteller. So so in your stories, um, they take place, I'm kind of assuming, the 80s? From 70, mostly from 70 to 80s, and the flashbacks in the 60s, yeah. Okay. And your, your story collection, My Old Faithful, so it's a family of five. We get stories from each of their perspective. There is a middle son, an older and a youngest daughter, and then the two parents. And you broke it down into sort of their ages. So you have the selfish youngsters, the willful teenagers, and the women in love. So those are the three parts. And then you have various stories. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of Old Faithful, why you wanted to focus on one family and this time period. Well, I know family intimately. Um, In family, it's really an interesting dynamic. People are made to trust and rely on each other, but um, sometimes they can let you down. When your brother say, trust me, um, he can let you down. If your daughter says whatever, it doesn't mean she doesn't care. So I based those stories on my family and other families I knew during my teen years. We used to live in a community with six apartment buildings. The residents were professors and staff's family at Yangzhou Teachers College. My parents, like 
All Chinese parents love to compare my brother and me to our schoolmates who excelled in studies or had a special talent. So it was normal for us to feel, to have anxiety and feel inadequate. So I was very glad to write about these people who made my teen years miserable. Um, it was gratifying to dissect the character from every angle that I couldn't do to a real person. I was especially interested in their moments of weakness when an outwardly decent person makes a bad decision. Work, working through this collection gave me valuable insights about the family life with adolescents. So um, I f- the first two stories I wrote were Homely Girl and Dream Lover. She, from older daughter's point of view. She's the one closest to me personally. Then I wrote Chimney from the father's point of view about him spanking his son to teach him a lesson. This led me to the son's story where he takes advantage of his younger sister. So I sense the pattern a person's rash action brings serious consequences. There's a ripple effect. So that's one type of story. Another type shows another side of character in the story, The Umbrella. The father is protective of his younger daughter, which contrasts his being a, a stern disciplinary to his son in Chimney. After I ten, had 10 stories, I added some um, interactions among the peripheral characters and grouped them chronologically. That's how I had the book. <laughs> What interests you in telling it from each person's point of view? Because I set out to write about defining moment of each person's life, and first-person perspective seems to be an obvious choice. And I want to um, show that how narrators is honest with themselves when they're away from other people's watchful eyes. And this authenticity is something that the family members don't see in the interactions. By juxtaposing those different perspectives, we can see how skewed a character's point of view is. For example, we don't. The father does not know how insightful his son is, but reader can see that. So I feel this almost um, balance of power. You know, no one controls outcome because people have free wills. Then the story, um, this keeps the story from going down the well-worn path. There's always a little surprise at the end. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Yang Huang, author of My Old Faithful. There was something about these stories that reminded me so much of folktales, and I'm wondering if folktales played any role in your life when you were little, if you read them, if it makes sense to you that they remind me of folktales? Actually, looking back, I thought those stories might be influenced by Winesburg, Ohio, by Sherwood Anderson. And um, Louise Erger's beautiful book on love medicine also came to mind. But growing up, I was surrounded by stories and storytellers. You know, I grew up in my grandparents' household, with my teenage uncles and auntie. So I was raised like only child. 
um, I was observer and took in the sensory details of everyday life in a way that only a child could, because I had no vocabulary to describe what I had seen and felt. I remember them vividly and could relive them in my mind as a doll. Maybe that gives the story、um, a folktale quality. <laughs> Yeah, it just made me wonder, you know, about just the culture that you grew up in. If, if you know, stories were were really important in in that way. Yes, you know, all the people in my family are different type of storytellers. My mother was a spellbinding storyteller. She often told us like cautionary tales. For example, she didn't want us to swim in the lake, so she made up a story that her elder brother had been drowned. Later, we found it wasn't true. <laughs> If she had an elder brother, he had died as a baby and never taken to the water. But she knew how to build suspense, add details, and deliver climax. So I told myself that was good fiction. <laughs> That's funny. Is she okay now that you're a writer instead of an engineer? Uh, I never asked for approval. So and she doesn't know what I'm writing about. Um, I feel. You know, I'm her good daughter in life, but I don't want to be a good girl in writing. I'm either free writer, or I wouldn't have bothered at all. Is that because she can't read English, or she doesn't read、yes. what you write?、Oh, okay, she does. Yeah. Do you think if she could, you would write different stories? Yes, I would be self-conscious. Yes. So you have a freedom there because you can write in in language that you know she'll never read. And I know a lot of other writers also afraid of their parents peering over their shoulders at the story, so I'm not alone. In these stories, you are talking about the one-child policy in China, and this family avoids it. Later, it, it's instituted after they've had one child, and they have two others, and、um, they have two girls and a boy. I don't ever sense that the parents love. The children any less dependent on their gender at all, but you do have a line in here in the story chimney that's told from the point of view of the father.、Uh, something about his daughter. She was asking if one of the hens had had a difficult labor, and he said, "I wondered where she had learned the term. She had too high an IQ for a girl." Can you, ta- <laughs> can you talk about this line? Uh, yeah, he just let that slip. Actually,、um, I think in my real life, my father made a similar comment.、Um, he was trying to play down my intelligence when he talked about me to、uh, other people、um, as a way of showing that I'm I'm really a girl, <laughs> not not someone who's threatening. So I think that is more or less in. In parents' subconscious, even though they appear to be fair to every child, but、uh, in, Chi- in, in China, there's a saying that, like,、um, you have ten fingers. Every finger has different length. So that's how you treat your children, even though they are all fingers on your hand, but they're different lengths. You just cannot help it.、Um, Chinese people are very realistic about what they can do and what they cannot do.、Um, I have to say, the father loves the son more than the daughters when he was born,、um, especially. But late, as the son grows up, he disappoints the father in a number of ways. So he made some kind of adjustments that,、um, you know,、uh, the son has some competition. His sisters are really teacher's pets, and、uh, they are. 
good children and he's just a little bit wayward. That's what parents have to come to terms with. It's not the just one child policy because that's a one time thing. Once you overcome it, you forget about it. But um, the gender and status that's something that still persists throughout the children's life. So um, the parents are mindful about it, and sometimes they will lie. But I hope we and you know we can see. What they won't tell themselves. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Yang Huang, author of My Old Faithful. In one of your stories, Dream Lover, the older daughter has gone to college in Boston? Yes. And she has a boyfriend, Sammy. And she it's the first boyfriend she's really had, but she does have this boy back in China that she loves. And she goes back to visit him. And she's sort of um, trying to decide if she loves Sammy or if she loves this other boy. And um, Tenement Square figures in there in terms of just talking about fighting for your freedom and what you believe in. And, and were you there? Were you in Tenement Square? I wasn't at the Tiananmen Square, but I took part in the demonstrations. I was one in the million. <laughs> yeah. How does that? How did that change you as a person? Oh, it it was a defining moment of my life, um, because I took part in the fight, and I always believed that Chinese people they want democracy and freedom, despite what the government says. And I write about people. You know, in recent years, ever since Tiananmen Square, the government tried to put economic development front and center in Chinese life. That's everything politically sensitive was censored. Um, Liu Xiaobo, the Chinese Nobel Prize laureate, recently died, basically in prison. So it was a turning point. Um, there was one point... Uh, during the demonstration that political reform seemed like a very attainable goal of it could have come to China, but it was crushed by Tiananmen Square Massacre. I guess, you know, um, I'm from a generation who believes that Chinese people want democracy and freedom and they're ready for it. That's what, why I write about people with, um, who live with hope and quite dignity. You know, you've cho chosen to live in America. Do you think that, I mean, what's your perspective about it now that you live here? And do you feel any differently about it? Or do you feel like you have less voice in helping to change China because you're not there? I. It was a good decision for me because um, I get to pursue my dream to write. In China, I was just not able to write at all, not even in Chinese. And, uh, you know, they, it's, it's really complicated. Um, when I first came to U.S., we were considered pretty fortunate. And w even though I came with only $100, in a few years, I became pretty, uh, you know, middle class person. Uh, back home, it was people were still pretty poor. But in 20 years' time, 
my class, high school classmates, they all become very well off. The prosperity made them quite content with life in China. That obscured the the need for political freedom. So I feel I'm still fortunate because I still have the hunger. I wanted to be free. I mean, for a person like me, this is the right decision. But a lot of other Chinese uh, scholars or engineers, they have gone back because they want they want to be among old friends. When you go back, you cannot speak out, obviously. You don't even have Facebook, no Twitter, and no YouTube. Everything's censored. I just could not see myself live, go back and live in an environment like this. I'd rather live in a poor country and be free. Do you think there was something in the way that you grew up that made you think out of the box? Was there something that your parents said to you one day? Or do you think you were just sort of born a little rebellious? I was born a little rebellious. I always felt like I was in the wrong family. No one in my family wants to do these things. And they thought I was just odd. And I was. So (laughs) it's not their fault. Well, that's interesting because I I do want to go back to this story. We started talking about the dream lover where there's Sammy and um, the the Chinese man that the daughter loves whose name is Zhu. So she's trying to decide between these two and Zhu is married, um, but she goes back and visits him anyway. And even though he's married, as soon as he finds out that she and he he pays for a ticket, she goes to visit him. They go out to dinner. They he's taking her around his town in the mountains. And as soon as he finds out that she has a boyfriend, everything changes. He just basically says, I got to go. See you later. Um, Can you just talk about this between them and um, how that might have helped the character in her own life? It's still pretty common in China that a, a successful person or even, a, you know, a wealthy uh, businessman has mistress. And that's accepted. That's almost fashionable. And a woman needs to be pure. So when she has a boyfriend, she just devalued herself in front of she. Also, you know, when she also sees that he does um, desire her in some real sense because he's uh, covering up pretty good. So it's it's a cruel realization that, you know, your value system was staying the way. It doesn't matter what's passion, how passionate you feel about the other person. It's they're from different society and they have different values and they cannot be together. They there's no place for them to meet anymore. Do you think that, you know, when the daughter went back to Sammy with more confidence that he was the one she was going to be with, that she was relieved or that this was sort of, okay, this is the choice I have left? Oh, that's very interesting. I think it's a little bit both. If she will take her, she might even give in. I, I Now I see the possibility. But, you know, kind of out of respect for her, she pushes her away. Then she goes back to Sammy. And it, she actually does a good good thing for her. Um, that makes him a true friend. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he remains a dream lover. 
and Sammy becomes the first love. I guess um, in, in your mind, in your imagination, the dream lover is always a little bit, you know, out of reach. And that's what she is. Yeah. And the uh, first love is someone you can be together and, you know, even grow old together. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a happier story than I realized even. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Yang Huang, author of My Old Faithful. In this story, you were talking about it earlier, where the son took advantage, sexual advantage of the daughter. And basically, they were in a swimming pool, and he had seen two lovers. Um, he saw one, the man put his hand down the girl's bathing suit. And he was sort of fantasizing about having his first girlfriend, but he just thought, well, I, I can't really go to this girl that I love named Zhu, who is a rock star, and be with her if I don't have any experience. So he basically goes to the pool and puts his hand down his sister's pants and says, you know, we're going to play this game, and this is what I'm going to do. Can you talk about the origination of, of the idea for this story and what you wanted to explore in there? Yeah, that's actually single single out that passage as something that was really difficult for me to write. Um, initially, it was a conventional story of teenage crush as a brother falls for a singer in his class. He loses virginity to her. It was okay, but I felt something was missing. It took me a while to figure out that story wasn't entirely honest. There was another story buried, which I didn't want to write. The brother is so infatuated with Singer that he decides to practice petting on his sister. This is, of course, taboo, so I hesitated. Um, sexual harassment has been pervasive throughout human history. This is nothing new. What is new is our awareness about how harmful it is. It's heartening that the Me Too movement brings to light this age-old problem. Unfortunately, a person may first encounter sexual harassment in the family. So I decided not to shy away from a darker story and look it straight in the eye, so to speak. And so it quite a lot of courage not to tamper with the characters and let them surprise and teach me who they are. So how did you come to realize that the story wasn't right and it needed this sort of darker element. How did you figure that out? Because I know this has happened to a lot of siblings. And they all have the they just I've heard about them and there are a lot of cover ups and I feel I had to go there. So I'm curious because you also have that scientific engineering mind, which is a very exact mind, and writing is much more of a flow, and there's a lot of things that change. It's much more artistic. It's less formulaic. How how do you switch between the two, and was that hard for you at first, even though you always wanted to be a writer? Yeah, I um, have two different personalities, so in daily life, I'm very organized, reliable. I can keep hundreds of computers running properly and be on time to pick up my children from school. But on the weekend, I just 
let myself go. I let the dirty dishes pile up in the sink. Um, I close my door and just go to my cave to write. I, you know, play act as if I have all the time and leisure in the world. And I follow my characters. I let the material saturate me. I'm pretty patient, um, you know, building up a movie set for my characters to live in so I can inhabit that space, uh, walk around and see the world through the character eyes. And the organ- um, eventually the plot emerges organically from the nonfiction materials. It feels like a real life I have lived. I didn't have to force the characters to act in a certain way. Eventually, they reveal themselves to me. Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer? I'll read a passage from Antoine Chekhov's personal letter. One wants to be mature, that is one thing. And for another, the feeling of personal freedom is essential. And that feeling has only recently begun to develop in me. I used not to have it before. Its place was successfully filled by my frivolity, carelessness, a lack of respect for my work. Write a story of how a young man who has served in a shop, sending a choir, being at high school and university, who has been brought up to respect everyone of higher rank and position, to kiss priests' hands, to reverence other people's ideas. Write how this young man squeezes a slave out of himself drop by drop, and how waking one beautiful morning, he feels that he has no longer a slave's blood in his veins, but a real man's. Tell me why you chose this. Um, This changed my fundamental belief about writing, that I don't write out of pride or even passion, but of humility. Writing is to squeeze a slave out of my blood, drop by drop. I'm not putting on a mask, but taking off the masks that I wear in daily life. Because I'm a mother and engineer, I need to switch gears when I sit down at the writing desk. So I think of writing as a fight in an otherwise calm life. It begins with the urge to express my authentic self through hard work and relentless introspection. I shed my polite mask, tear off the layers of complacency, prejudice, and hypocrisy to reach deep inside and feel the beating of my own heart discover who I am and what I believe in, and then pour my soul into the characters and their stories. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Yang Huang, author of My Old Faithful. Can you read something that you wrote? Maybe it was tricky or hard or changed a lot from the first draft? Yeah, um, like, like I mentioned earlier, um, so I'm just going to read the passage in the pool, you know, the brothers and sisters having a diving contest. I was relieved to see Liam back at the pool after a week of having her period. We raced to the deep end and had three diving contests in a row. I was dumb enough to let her win them all. She grew a little bored and pouted. Why can't you dive today, brother? I don't know. You seem to be getting better. How is that possible? She brushed the wet hair off of her face to the back of her ears. I haven't practiced at all for seven days. 
I noticed the thin hair in her armpits when she raised, lifted both her arms. Maybe that's what makes you better. I lied. My heart began to pump so hard inside my ribcage that I was afraid to she might see it protrude. Really? Her eyelids crinkled with a smile, and I watched her as if watching myself smile. Do you want to talk a little bit more about this specific paragraph? Yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier,、um, I changed the story from a conventional、uh, teenage crush to essentially a little bit incest story. I did worked hard.、Uh, Research the the a new subject matter. I read Ian McEwan's incest story to become comfortable with the material, and I felt it was liberating to write from a person、um, a, a, that's different from myself. Obviously, I'm not a teenage boy, and so I don't have to justify my action. I only need to. Get it into his skin and see the world through his eyes, and don't impose myself on him without, you know, just be true, be truthful, and without writerly agenda. Where do you write? In my bedroom or office at home. I only need a desk behind a closed door and my computer. I cannot write in a crowded place. That makes me self-conscious. I need to hide in a cave. Where no one's watching me, and I forget about my own existence. What do you do, or where do you go to get away from writing? Well, I always try to run to writing because I have children, a full-time job. I only need to open my door and return to a bustling family and professional life. When I have uninterrupted writing time, I take a break from it by doing physical exercises, swimming, walking, doing laundry. Or other repetitive motion that is not intellectually stimulating or emotionally draining, so that I can return to my writing desk feeling refreshed and eager to attack the next chapter. Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? My husband is always the first reader. He's not a writer, but pragmatic reader with common sense. I was also fortunate to have been in a very supportive writers group for many years. I was in other workshops too. Every bit of critique helps, and I'm grateful to all my first readers. I almost always trust their readings, but I'm careful about what prescriptive advice I should follow. And how have you dealt with rejection?、Um, I published ten stories in the literary journals many years ago, but I wasn't able to get the book published. I didn't take it personally and turned to writing novels. I wrote several novels and finally published *Living Treasures* four years ago. It was a long journey. For me, the hardest part is the loneliness that you are writing to the void, where no one hears you. You don't know what you're doing wrong and how it can get better, because you can't get advice from professionals. It became very hard, so I went on with my life to have two children and then return to a full-time job. That really slowed me down, but in some ways, I wrote better. Because every word carried a price tag, why I could be doing something else instead. I kept writing because I wanted to get better. What else would I do with my free time? And what is your favorite word? I like all the words,、um, but I was settled with resilience. On the surface, fiction has little to do with resilience. You want to push the characters to the breaking point, but in order for the writer to get to that point, she needs to be resilient and persevere. Unfazed by life and setbacks, so she can arrive at the precipice on the character's behalf. 
The undercurrent of life will inevitably contextualize a story, but should not overtake it. This makes a fiction more interesting and true to life than mere release of one's passion. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. My guest who joined me via Skype was Yang Huang, author of My Old Faithful. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft, a dialogue on writing, and click like, and on Twitter at First Draft APR. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. Thanks for listening.